This is Steve Smith at the California Western School of Law, and I call the law review to order. Americans are generous, and this is the time of year when we are most generous. So today the law review takes a look at philanthropy and legal issues related to giving. We welcome our experts. Thank you very much for joining us. Adrian Vargas, the Chief Giving Officer of the San Diego Foundation, and Nancy Spector, an attorney in San Diego specializing in estates and gifts, and a board member of the San Diego Foundation. In the interest of full disclosure, I'm also a board member of the San Diego Foundation and chair of the Board of Governors. So thank you both for joining us on Law Review. Is philanthropy and gift-giving really only something the rich are concerned with? Well, I would say not. I think it's amazing that statistically the less fortunate people give a higher percentage of their income and their resources to charities. But people come to me all the time, I'm, I'm the lawyer, and, and people say, well, I don't know how much to give, or what do you think, and which charities to give to, and I think it's really important that you select the charities that you're passionate about. Well, we are. Let's talk about that. Just by way of background, saying, last January, my wife and I decided that we would keep track of the solicitations we received by regular mail. So this morning, I weighed them. They're in three, really now going on four uh, large boxes, and it, all of the solicitation we received over 80 pounds. So how do we sort through and figure out where we should give our money when there are so many requests and so many opportunities? Uh, this is Adrian. I would say that, you know, fortunately there's some great tools out there to help you wade through some of the choices. Uh, there's obviously the online guidestar.org and there's Charity Navigator and some of these resources can help um, you to take a look at financial information. Um, there's also Better Giving at SD, which is Star on steroids, because not only does it provide the financial information about the nonprofit, but it also might provide a wish list, um, a strategic plan, just more robust information about the charity. So let me give you an example of what I have done a couple of times when there was something which I thought I might be interested, which I look at the 990, the tax return of the charity for a couple of years, Google search, if I look at what the proportion of the money and it actually goes to, to the work of the church, but that takes 45 minutes to an hour at least to do even the basic stuff. Would something like Better Giving SD do that for me? Yes, and um, it, it will do that. But one thing that there's been a, a big conversation in the in the nonprofit world recently about um, evaluating nonprofits and not using the singular lens of administrative costs because some of the most effective charities that are really changing the world in very meaningful ways might have administrative costs that are higher than a charity that's maybe all volunteer run. So they're actually making societal change. So that's that's definitely one screen and better giving can help you uh, see what the administrative costs are. I think you know the other thing to keep in mind is people are really looking for that silver bullet when they're evaluating charities, and a lot of times I think it goes back to what Nancy had referred to, and that is you know supporting charities that are closest to you where you're where you're really involved. You know maybe it's your local library where you spend a lot of time reading and you can see how that library is run, or it's some sort of you know church group that you're involved with, but. But or environmental cleanup group, maybe you're you're doing I Love a Clean San Diego cleanups, things like that that you have also a personal experience maybe volunteering. And going along that line, 
I think passion is the answer. I mean, what are you passionate passion. about? Oh, passion. And uh -huh. I really, for the clients that I, when I discuss it, what which charities are you really passionate about? And what I find interesting when I'm planning and we look at what's in retirement, what's in their trust or whatever, um, it's very rare when a client will say only one charity. They're, they might, like Adrian said, they might name the zoo, they might name the library, they might name Bellow Park, they might name, you know, something that's going on in India or Israel or somewhere like that. And they feel very passionate about whatever the work is. And also, I've learned that very few people do it only for taxes. It could be, and people change their mind. Even though, let's say, I'm, I want to leave, you know, 25% to the American Red Cross and 25% to library and 25% to whatever um, that I do, and maybe in two years I change my mind. And because now I have a grandson who went to Brady Children's Hospital. And, and Brady, the people there were fabulous. Or we used to get to San Diego Hospice when somebody died or whatever. And American Cancer Society, Susan Coleman, whatever it is if you have breast cancer. So your life changes. And because of the developments in your own life and your, and your commitment, your passions change. What, what is important to you now may not have been important to you 10 years ago. So that's why people need to look at whether it be beneficiary designations or they need to look at their own trust and see what it says about charity if they get into charity. It, it suggests that rather than sorting through the 80 pounds that I was mentioning, exactly. I, I, I should start by saying what am I really interested in, what really, called in passion, what really matters to me a exactly. lot. Yeah. You know what, when you said this about 80 pounds, you know my first thought was to, was, were all the seniors get all this mail and all the abuse, the elder abuse that goes on because a senior sends in a check to whatever the charity is right. and it could be, and the other thing I want to warn the audience about is that names are very similar. So because one may give to the American Cancer Society, maybe you get a solicitation from the American Cancer Federation foundation or something. Or something. Or foundation. And, and I've noticed yeah. research suddenly appears and it's not, it looks it's similar, not, but it's a different not the same. Yeah. And so you have to be really careful, and at least in my documents, I always put the current address is. Or also to say, is this the national organization, whether it be, I'm using the American Cancer Society, but would you want it to go to national, do you want it to go to local? And um, it's very different because the way the money is spent, I know like Susan Komen, I've been involved with the Susan Komen walks, and I know that National does, um, puts it one way, whereas the local does a lot of the research for breast cancer locally in San Diego. How can you tell? I mean, how can you tell? If I'm a, a donor and I'm getting ready to write a check in the right, next right. Uh, couple of days, um, how can I tell whether I'm giving to the local food bank or to a national food bank? Well, first of all, you send it to wherever this, you know, some of the solicitation, like I used to be on the board of the Alzheimer's Association, okay? So the Alzheimer's Association is actually headquartered in Chicago. But if you give it to San Diego, then you're giving to programs here, but a certain percentage goes back to national. And that's the way it usually is. So you, if you really wanted to go to the national organization, then you direct it to Chicago if you want to leave it to the chapter here, you would address it to the chapter, you know, whatever they call it here. And that's true in a lot of these major organizations. Even when you have a passage or something, you have to pay close attention to it. Exactly. It's going exactly where you want it to exactly. go. I had, a, I had a case years ago where a lady left, I don't know, $25,000, which was more money than it is today. But anyway, this was probably 20 years ago. She left it to the San Diego Library. Well, the county system thought it was theirs, and the city, the San Diego City Public Library thought it was theirs. So all I'm saying, warning your, the audience is just make sure it gets where you want it to go. Right. So let's talk about the kinds of charitable organizations. Uh, 
Uh, charities mean a variety of things. It's kind of a generic term. First of all, let's start with the not-for-profit organization. That's incorporated in a state as, as not being for-profit, as not not-for-profit, a bunch of rules that apply to it. But that doesn't make it a tax-exempt organization. Right? So there, among the nonprofit organizations, some uh, get special tax treatment, 501c3 treatment. And that means their donors can receive a tax deduction for, for making exactly. charitable donations. But not every nonprofit organization has that 501c3. Or it might be something they do, like they make money uh, if, if the church owned a hotel, I'm making this up, but if the church owned a hotel, your donation to the church would be would be um, a charitable deduction, but if it goes towards the hotel or something, it may not be, because that would be a profit organization. Rotary clubs or Kiwanis, other, my work considered like social welfare organizations where people associate with each other, but they're not necessarily doing charitable work. A lot of these um, organizations with service clubs might have a nonprofit arm to them. Like I know Rotary has a Rotary Foundation where they do a lot of their charitable work through the foundation. So you just have to make sure you're gifting it to the C3. And people who make charitable donations to organizations that are not 501c3 organizations are not technically, well, they're not eligible for a tax, but technically or otherwise uh, eligible for a tax deduction. Is that fair? Yeah. How, how do you know whether you're eligible to take a tax deduction when you're make, writing out a check? That is to say, whether it's a 501c3 organization. Well, most of what you get in the middle of the 80 pounds or whatever it is, will say in one of the letters, if you looked at with some of them, if you open the envelopes and start there, they would say they're a 501c. Um, and if they don't say anything, then I would question that I'd go on their website and check it out. Sure. Or give them a call, I guess. And, but also on, on the Better Giving SD uh, of the San Diego Foundation website, that sort of, you only have 501c3. But it's not inclusive of every nonprofit in San Diego County, it's just a bulk of them. I also want to say that there have been some really good articles um, about more or less the topic of better giving in the Wall Street Journal, or you'll find it in Forbes, or you'll find it in even the San Diego Daily Transcript or somewhere like end of the year financial planning and how to research them. And, and so I think there are a lot of resources out there that make suggestions of, of these websites like Adrian suggested. So I, I really I really think it's smart. If you want to give better, I think people are much smarter today about, especially younger people, they, they want to take their values and they want to make sure that this, this nonprofit, whatever it is, is making good use of their money. And I think other people in the past, like our parents maybe, gave to the church or to an organization and didn't do any research and didn't really think through how was it being, um, uh, you know, administered. And I think I think people are much smarter than they used to be. Do you find that either? Yes, definitely. Uh, donors are a lot more informed than they mm -hmm. were years ago, and I think they care more. Mm-hmm. Well, let's change the focus a bit to uh, issues of fraud, scams, and the like. Uh, both of you have mentioned in passing uh, that problem. So if you receive a solicitation, what kinds of fraud, I mean, two, two parts to this. Number one, if you receive a solicitation, how do you make sure it's not a scam of some sort? And secondly, what kind of uh, dishonest practices have you both experienced? 
No, I would say by and large we have a few bad apples that kind of ruin it for the whole bunch. It's particularly here in San Diego, there are just some fabulous organizations and the nonprofit sector I think functions with a lot of integrity. Um, there are some notable cases that have gotten media attention, which makes people, you know, very skeptical. But I think, you know, there, the, the web is our friend, and a simple Google search can oftentimes unearth some of those issues, as well as checking the resources that, you know, I mentioned earlier in the program, as far as GuideStar, Better Giving, and Charity Navigator. What, have you seen any particular scams? I know CNN did a special one. They were doing something where people were donating to dogs that were, for, that were supposed to be helping the veterans when they came back or sending the scent out there and they in fact not hadn't sent any dogs or they hadn't, you know, trained the dogs or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact facts, but they, they disclosed this woman's fraud all the way and people were sending saying, Isn't this wonderful that these dogs are helping these Vietnam I am sorry, uh, the Iraqi and the Afghanistan veterans. Um, I think some of them actually were Vietnam veterans too that were that were helping. So they, I think that the news, um, the media, is really good at finding these scams too. So I think I think between the webs and the websites and the media, I think they do a pretty good job of finding. It. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea. From no, the, from this the is the case. exception. There's no yeah, question there is, about it. Yeah, yeah, because I think most of them are very. Um, honest, um, and I think people have their hearts in it and they want to do the right thing. And you and I know that um, so many of these organizations have a, have boards of directors or trustees who work so hard and donors who want this to work, and um, especially these smaller sort of startup kind of organizations, and they try to the nonprofits and they work with other nonprofits to make it successful. And, um, I think the San Diego Foundation is, is really trying to uh, put some of these groups together, some of these nonprofits together, and have them work together to make it more efficient. And I think that's all in, in, in that's a good thing. What underlying something that Adrian said to put together, that what we have said, which is you know, a very simple search, really is, can be done quickly on Google or whatever uh, search engine. And, and uh, I actually had something that I thought looked really good last year, so I, I did it in two minutes. I found that that's where there was an investigation, there was a criminal investigation, in fact. It was the exception. But it also perhaps points out the importance of what both of you said earlier, which is if you're giving to your passion, you have already done all sorts of due diligence just in your time and energy. And, and, and I'd like to add something, too, is that um, Adrian has a team of um, people at the individuals who help donors um, at the San Diego Foundation. And they have been a great resource for my clients. Um, if they wanted, I remember one lady that we wanted to give to orphans somewhere, I mean, I don't know, somewhere in the Middle East or something. And, and Adrian looked into all this. And there are other people that have these sort of, you and I would think, sort of weird, bizarre interests. But this is, they came from wherever it was, and they, they want to help these people. Um, and so um, they, if you have a donor advised fund, and we're going to talk about that, I know, Steve, then Adrian and her staff can help the donors do the research. And I think that's a really important part of the research. I really agree with that. They, they have, uh, in my personal experience, and the book led me uh, to avoid a problem in one instance and given me a couple of great things that Bill and I were very interested in, which I'm grateful for. Uh, 
Well, today I'm Laura Dean. We are speaking with Adrian Vargas and Nancy Spector and, uh, about philanthropy and that everyone is a philanthropist and, and to follow a passion and make sure you contribute to it. Is, can is I make a comment about that too? Sure. The term philanthropist is something that's way out there in, in, for most people. It's too abstract. I think, I think not way out there like that. I think it, they think of Darlene Shiley and Conrad Prentice. Oh, and oh, okay. They think of the uh, Erwin Jacobs, the people who give millions and millions and millions, okay? And certainly have done fabulous things for our city. But when you, I don't think most so-called common people, <laughs> you know, like the middle class and the upper class, they don't think of themselves really as philanthropists. They want to donate to somebody. They want to help. So what should we call ourselves? Donors. Oh, okay. Donors, <laughs> That's easier to pronounce, too. Donors is great. Donors, I think we want to help society. But somehow the term philanthropist is like saying, okay, you have to have $50 million oh, or I more see. I see your to, point. to be it's a too philanthropist. Yeah. It's high for yeah, yeah, that's okay. it. Okay. Donors. Well, donors, donors, okay. donate to whatever uh, is your passion. Uh, I want to talk for just a minute about non-cash gifts. I've talked about writing a check or putting right. some money in it. But there are other ways to uh, absolutely to give money to charity, to, to give resources right. to charities. Well, I'm going to suggest some, and then Adrian will add to it. Um, I have found that uh, if it's during lifetime, you want to give appreciated shares of stock. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. Property that's worth, worth more, more now than what than you it was paid for. Okay. Right. Um, the uh, you know I I belong to the San Diego Women's Foundation and every year our dues or our I should say our donation is two thousand dollars okay not dues actually forget that word <laughs> it's, it's our commitment you might say that we're gonna that we're gonna that we're gonna pay two thousand dollars so every year I sell one of my shares that I transferred from Fidelity to the San Diego Women's Foundation two thousand dollars worth of X Y Z um, stock. And because I don't write out a check, I don't have to pay any taxes on it. And whatever the value is, the day I transfer it, which I send, I figure out how many shares, and it goes right to the San Diego Foundation. So if people want to do that, it's a simple way to do it. You don't pay any tax, you get the full credit. Let's that just is walk tax credit. Yeah, let's just walk that through. So so if you give to a 501c3, you can right. deduct that from... My $2,000 is, I report that as a donation for $2,000. Right. I don't write a check. I transfer the shares of the stock. But right you're also me. saying that if you give appreciated property, in addition to that deduction... No, that, is, that, is, the, that is the value. Right. It's $2,000 uh, uh, worth Maybe of Maybe I bought stock. it for $100. Well, let's take that example. So okay. first of all, you get a $2,000 reduction on the tax. And then the $1,900 increase in the value, you do not have to recognize its income. You don't, you don't recognize any of the income at all. So that it's a sort of appreciated property is a double tax advantage of the Well, you're, you're getting the, bonus, the benefit of giving to the charity. Of course, smart investors like you are more likely to have appreciated <laughs> property. But in addition to you know, stock. But, but not only shares of stock, but people. I've had people who want, I have a lady right now. I called Adrian like a week ago. I have a lady who inherited a condo in Florida. And she said, I don't want to deal with this selling this condo. I don't want to deal with it, and what? What if? I, and I said to her, "Why don't you just donate it to the San Diego Foundation, and they'll find a realtor out there. They'll take care of the selling it, and whatever it was like, two hundred thousand dollars or whatever, put it in a fund at the San Diego Foundation, and you get two hundred thousand dollars worth of more or less of a deduction because you're donating your condo. 
Um, but you don't have to get that much on it. That's just an example. So during lifetime, it's really a good idea to use appreciated assets or assets that you don't really care about, like her condo. But at or death, if you have a rental work break and you have it, you should invest it off. Exactly. <laughs> but there's certain rules about that. Too. Yeah, okay. yeah. But, you know, I think it's a, it's a great way to go. Um, and I think that a lot of people forget about that and they write a check, which when you write a check, that means that you, um, you're using cash instead of appreciated assets. Uh, when you die, it's a different story. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about. Oh, wait a minute. Why don't we make sure we talk about giving during lifetime? Okay. Okay. Then let's hold that sounds good. Talk about plan giving. Sure. So um, I think you know another thing is the uh, required minimum distribution from IRAs is a great way to give to charity. What does that mean? Congress extended it. Well, you know, when you're 70 and, and a half, you have to take a certain amount out of your IRA every year that's required, or it gets taxed at a very high rate. You can transfer that directly to charity without having to claim the income, which a lot of people find very beneficial. Congress has not decided whether to continue that into the future. I think it's still being considered, but it has been in place for three or four well, years. Yeah, for a couple of years, years. three or four years. But you don't get. But the difference is, is you don't get um, a deduction for that. You. What happens is, let's say you have to take out twenty-five thousand dollars from your IRA. Right. Okay. And you cannot give it to the San Diego Foundation. You cannot give it to any community foundation. It has to you go directly. You can't give it to a donor by itself. A donor you can't by give it to a designated or a scholarship. Oh, okay. Forgive me. Yeah. Yes. But you can't give it to a donor by fund, but you right. can give it to the foundation in other ways. So if you have to, by law, your required minimum distribution is $25,000 a year, let's say, um, and you have to take that out, you can have. I'm using Fidelity, but you could have Fidelity transfer that 25000 instead of to you where you're going to pay the tax. They transfer directly to XYZ Charity. So or the better than not having an investment. It's not income to begin with. It's not income to begin with, but you can't get the deduction. Right. Right. So okay. Just, but it's, it, it, well, that is a nice it, with a little luck. It meets the qualification of a required minimum distribution. At least this year. and a half. If you have to, yes, you have to be seven and a half. Well, let's let's shift the discussion a little bit to donor advice funds. We've talked a couple of times. Uh, Adrian, the San Diego Foundation is famous for donor advice funds. What are they? Uh, basically, it's a tool that donors can use to put put money aside that they want to use for charitable purposes. Get the deduction in the year in which they contribute money to that fund. And then they can be involved in making grants over time from you know those dollars into the community. Um, if you so, at the end of a year, if I decide I, I, my tax situation is I want to give a bunch of money now, but I know exactly where I want that ultimately to go, I can give it to. Well, I'm going to use the San Diego Foundation, sure. and there are others, mm -hmm. but the San Diego Foundation in one lump sum, and then later on advise the foundation uh, board of governors of where I think they should spend it. That's right, and you can take advantage of the resources of the community foundations in doing that, getting research on charities, maybe connecting with other donors, making site visits. You can go anonymously. We have a number of donors where maybe they came into a lot of wealth and they don't want the charities to know who they are, so we can anonymously bring them to check out a bunch of charities in town, and they really appreciate that. But what else is, they? it's simple. Yeah. It's simple. They just set up a fund at the foundation. Let's say you sell your company, Steve, for millions, I hope. Mm -hmm. Millions and millions of dollars. And you can have a lot of tax liability. 
Mm-hmm. And so you want to do something, you talk to your accountant, you say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so you just put whatever the accountant suggests, you, you set up a fund, you fund it with XYZ dollars, and, and then in five years you can, you can decide where it goes or the next year or whatever. But the other wonderful thing, I think, is to teach a legacy to your family. So oftentimes I will suggest that these donors name their children, adult children, let's say, or even, even grandchildren, to help them decide every year where they give the money. And so they're doing it as a family effort and teaching them to give back. Well, let me ask you this. If, if someone uh, is interested in creating a donor advice fund, let's, I'm going to use it at the San Diego Foundation, uh, what should they do? Uh, they can call the San Diego Foundation. I think that's the easiest way. Uh, 619-235-2300. They can look at our website, sdfoundation.org. And there's lots of information about setting up a fund. Well, and, and I, uh, again, in the interest of full disclosure, I have, uh, Lou and I have a donor advice, but I must say, setting it up was very easy. And now with electronics, it's gotten even easier to select the organizations to which we want to advise the foundation transfer the money uh, over time. And it, it has been a great, great experience for us. It's just a, it's a fun think, thing. You know, I know we have a time commitment here, but. One thing I want to get across today is what I usually suggest to my clients is that they should use their IRAs or their 401ks or their 403bs to get to charity. So if they are doing plan giving at the time of their death, they instead of naming their children um, on all the all the I met with the client this morning who had a million dollar IRA, and so he's going to name his wife first, and then he wants to name various charities second instead of just including his children. So the reason why would somebody do this is because the children have to, when they take it out over their lifetime, um, it's, we call this the stretch IRA, which is great because they can stretch it out over their lifetime based on actual actuarial charge. But the charity gets 100%. The children, when they take it out, or, or the parents, whoever it is that takes it out, you have to pay your 40% on the tax. So if you're leaving $10,000 to charity, they're going to walk home with, with $6,000, whereas the charity gets the full $10,000. And so it is really smart planning. And to then use your after-tax dollars, such as your house, your investments that are non-retirement, for your children and for the people you care about, because they won't pay any tax unless they're over, right now it's 5,200,000, it's right now, it's going up. And uh, it's wonderful, it's going up $90,000 next year. So most clients are not over that amount, um, 520,000, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just talking about the increase today. And so um, and so they won't have to pay any tax, so they get it and say, thank you very much, you know. But the IRA and the 401k and, the, and all these other retirement ones are fabulous ways to give to charity at the time of their death. This is all wonderful advice, and, and there are not many things that are more satisfying and just fun in life than picking something that you really care about and being able to help it uh, do its uh, do its work to help it thrive to help uh, it, it's do its charitable it's to achieve its charitable purposes and but I going, really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah but going that's. along with that too is if you do it during lifetime and Adrian will tell you that you get a thrill. If Absolutely. you give it to scholarship during your lifetime you see how it works. If you set up this donor advised fund during your lifetime, you see how it works. You can have a say in it. And and I think that's great. Whereas if you die with it, you name the charity or whatever, you never see it. Your children that's might true. see it, but you, you won't see it. So our advice for the end of the year, have some fun. 
Yeah, make some charitable donations. Would each of you give us, uh, listeners could contact you, uh, Adrian, repeat what you said about uh, your, your contact. Sure, it's 619 235 2300 and you. it's fdfoundation.org. Thank you. Nancy? Nancy Spector, uh, and that's uh, 619-260-0303. And I also just want to end, the, the best advice I can give you is to talk to your professional advisors. I think there are a lot of financial advisors, attorneys, accountants who don't think about charity. And you have to bring it up when you meet with them, is to say, you know what, I've thought about it. I really want to put this as part of my estate plan or, or part of my giving this year. And you should bring it up. And that's that's the message. Great. Thank you both very much. Our guests on the board of you today uh, have been Adrian Vargas, the Chief Giving Officer at the San Diego Foundation and Nancy Spector, an attorney in San Diego specializing in estates and gifts, and a member, board member of the San Diego Foundation. Thank you again for being with us today. Thank you, Thanks also to our producer, uh, Jim Hill Park, along with Katrina Julian, Megan Knight, and Sarah Kennedy. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or by visiting lawreview.podbean.com. We enjoy hearing from you, so send us a message on lrd.podbean.com. And until next time, this is Steve Smith saying we send all good wishes from all of us for a wonderful 2014. And the Law Review stands adjourned.